My name is Nathan Forster, and this is Deeper and Wider, a show where we meet at the crossroads of Christian faith and all of life, from the small to the big, from the mundane to the profound, where we learn people's stories and their specialities, have conversations, and offer perspectives, all of which are shaped and animated by Jesus, his way of life, and the kingdom he came to bring. This show will be a resource for people who, deep down in their bones, think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we have put it in, a kingdom that can permeate all of existence, if we allow it to. So welcome to Deeper and Wider. Welcome to Deeper and Wider. This is a different type of episode today of which I'm going to talk about a series of words. Yes, you heard me correctly, a series of words. Words that come out of the gospel according to Mark in chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. And this section of the gospel of Mark goes and it reads, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus went beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. So I want to talk about today some words that have just jumped out of this passage. Words that are filled with different connotations for different people, that have particular meaning for different people. And I just want to talk about what some of these words actually mean in their context of this passage. First of all, I want to talk about the phrase good news, or in other translations is the word gospel. I then want to talk about this phrase that Jesus uses, the kingdom of God. I then want to talk about the word that Jesus says when he says repent. I also want to talk about the word believe and the word follow, as in when Jesus calls Simon and his brother Andrew to follow him. I believe as we look into these words, not only do we get a sense of this passage, but we actually get a deeper sense of what our faith is all about. For those of us listening to the podcast who do identify as Christians, which is, by the way, kind of my target audience with this show, Christians who... I don't know, have deep in their bones think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box sometimes our churches and our congregations and our upbringing has has kind of put the Christian faith in. So I actually think these words and coming from this section of Scripture are pivotal in our understanding of a understanding of our Christian faith that is much more than just a Sunday service um, and is certainly more than just going to heaven once you die. And that if you feel deep in your bones that maybe the Christian faith is something that is so much more than just those things. I've got good news for you and that it is. And I want to talk to you about that today through exploring these series of words out of this passage. The word gospel, kingdom of God, repent, believe and follow, as in follow me. So these words, I believe, act as almost like tiny windows on the side of a building, all right? And, you know, if you, if you were in a building, big and empty building, and there were tiny windows on each side of the building, 
uh, and you were standing in the centre of this kind of large building. I guess you couldn't really get a sense of what the whole landscape of what of life outside of this building was like. And the windows are so small, so you can't really see that much. But I believe that each word that I've just mentioned, you know, gospel, kingdom of God, repent, believe and follow, are like these tiny windows that if you were to actually go from the center of this building and go up to one of these windows and push your face against this window, all of a sudden you would see out the window and through it kind of a vast array of um, space, wide open space, greenery, forest, trees, rivers, you name it, the whole wide world outside this building. And that's how I'm going to kind of treat these words today from this passage. Um, as ways of seeing the entirety of the faith outside the entire building, if you like, the kind of the building we've put ourselves in, this box that we've sometimes put ourselves in with our theories and ideologies of, of, a, of a tiny and small Christian faith. But actually, these words act as windows that we can actually go and push our face against and see, ah, oh, actually, it's so much more than what we have sometimes been taught and what we deep in our bones believe. And um, hopefully after we've um, talked about these words, we don't just kind of look through these words as a window. I hope that we, perhaps in a more metaphorical way, eventually then through these words, open the door of the building and step outside into the wide world that is our Christian faith, which is so much more than just going to heaven once you die. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm just going to focus on these particular words. So the first word that we're going to do is the word gospel. And um, you, you can't really see it in the version of the passage I just read out, but it's in verse um, 14 and also in verse 15. Uh, so in verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now in other translations, it's the word gospel. Uh, likewise, in verse 15, it says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Once again, other translations, it's the word gospel. That translation, translating the word gospel into the word good news, is actually a very good translation and actually captures the sense of what this word means. So um, when I was, gosh, 17 years old, uh, no, 18 years old, um, I was part of a school leavers trip that um, didn't do the whole classical leavers, schoolies thing. Uh, we actually went to East Timor. I was part of the Rotary Group, and we went to East Timor, and we bought some piping, and we helped this particular village in this rural part of East Timor. And we were welcomed, and we, we kind of wanted to help this village out, and... Look, as I'm saying this right now, I have all sorts of commentary going through my head on the whole concept of short-term missions, but that's a rabbit hole and that's a whole other episode for a whole other time. But I was there, part of this group, and we were helping this village installing some water pipes. So we bought the supplies and we're installing these water pipes because at this particular point in time, this village uh, had to go down the hill to which they existed on top of get their bucket of water, get water from the local well down the hill, walk it all the way back up the hill, and it was very tiring for them, as you can imagine. So we installed this piping in order to create a bit of a pump on the top of the hill. So they had the pump ready, we put the final lots of piping in, we pat ourselves on the back, and we went back up to the top of the hill to get ready to see the kind of reaction from the people who were um, anticipating water to come out. And so... They got the pump, they turned it on, pump, 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 pump. And as you can imagine, 
water started sprouting all over the place and it was wonderful people were very happy and there was this little boy who kind of ran through his village and he was speaking in his local language so i had no idea what he was saying but it turns out this little boy ran around and he was saying good news good news we have water good news for him good news if you were to kind of like analyze this event from a distance, you could say that good news for this particular village was that water had come into their village. And if you were to analyze it, you could, you could say that good news then is that something good, <laughs> obviously, something good has happened, that as a result, everything is now different. And for this particular village, it was good news that water happened, which meant everything would be different. They wouldn't have to go up and down, up and down, that they could actually get water immediately and they can focus on the other important things in the life of this village. So, good news. So, Jesus, in this particular scene, he comes on the scene and he is proclaiming good news, or in other translations, the word gospel. All right. Now, the word gospel, or in this translation, good news, is this particular Greek word, evangelion. Now, this was a very well-known Greek word in the first century, evangelion, gospel, good news. Uh, it was a very common word. It was actually a political word before it was a religious word. And yes, you can make the case that perhaps this, um, this word can be translated from maybe another Hebrew word of, of gospel or good news in the Old Testament, such as in Isaiah, where... Um, the writer Isaiah talks about the kind of the feet that bring good news, the good news of God. Um, but it was very much a political word in the first century, and it was very well known as a political word. Uh, except this particular word, evangelion, good news, gospel, was a word that was used as propaganda in the first century. So just for some historical context, uh, at the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire was the big empire on the scene. It was the big bad empire of the ancient world and they've taken over all of Europe, all of Asia Minor, and they've certainly had spread their wings all the way deep into the Middle East, including um, Israel. Okay, and I'm not talking about modern Israel, I'm just talking about kind of the, the land of Israel as it was um, for the ancient Hebrews in these ancient times. Okay, and so Jerusalem was being ruled by the Roman Empire. All right. And the locals, they interpreted that, that they were under occupation from a foreign force. Now, I guarantee you that when the Roman Empire first arrived into Jerusalem, they would have gone around, uh, they would have defeated anyone who was trying to resist the Roman rule. Um, and so they would have defeated them, probably um, executed them on the cross, quite frankly. Um, they would have instituted their world order, the Pax Romana, if you like. That's what it was called, kind of the, the peace, quote-unquote, peace of Rome, right? Um, this pseudo-peace of the Roman Empire. They would have instilled that. Someone would have gotten up. Probably multiple people would have gotten up. And they would have said, oh, good news, good news, good news. The rule of Rome is here. Good news. And that's what good news would have meant in that context. So it was propaganda language in the first century. All right. Uh, picture any other propaganda from the 21st century and you would get a sense um, of what it was like. Kind of this eye-roll propaganda language. Like, oh, please, good news. Please. Please, that's not good news. Um, but for Rome, they would have considered what they were doing to be the good news of Rome. So gospel, good news, evangelion was a political word, and it was often used as propaganda speech 
from the ruling Roman Empire at the time. So as you can imagine, when Jesus comes along and he says the good news of God, and then he says the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Jesus is coming to bring a counter good news. So, is that what you hear uh, the word gospel meaning when you go to church? Well, maybe. It depends on your church. I don't want to <laughs> dictate your experience of what uh, is meant when you hear the word gospel. But I think that's really important to just state out loud. Gospel does not mean good advice. Gospel does not mean here's the plan of how you can get to heaven. Here's your little ticket. No, 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 no. Gospel is the good news that something has happened that as a result, everything will be different. And specifically, at least according to this section of scripture, what has happened is that the kingdom of God has come near. That's the good news. That's the good news of God. That's the good news that Jesus is revealing in word and in action in and through himself. Which brings us to our second lot of words. So if the word gospel means good news, that something has happened, that as a result, everything will now be different. Then this good news, this thing that has happened, was that the kingdom of God had come near. Now, once again, I think it's really important to understand the political backdrop to what was happening when Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God. Because once again, there already was a kingdom. Okay, In this case, it was the Roman Empire. And perhaps you could say that there was also that puppet king called Herod. But Herod, King Herod, only really existed because Rome allowed him to exist there. Um, so the kingdom of God, I mean, Jesus saying that the kingdom of God had come near, he's basically saying a completely different, different rule and reign of the entire earth is happening underway in and through himself. But it ain't Caesar. It ain't Julius Caesar or, or the Caesars, whoever was the Caesar at the time. It ain't the Roman Empire. It's the equivalent of Jesus kind of walking up to Parliament House and going, you know, the time has come. Um, My kingdom, the rule and reign, the commonwealth of God as opposed to the commonwealth of Australia. I'm here and I'm here to set up shop. That's basically the effect that Jesus' pronouncement of kingdom of God would have had. So that's the good news. The good news that something has happened. And precisely what happened is that the kingdom of God had come near. All right. So that's what Jesus is kind of announcing here is the good news, this kingdom of God. Now, uh, I, once again, don't want to dictate your church background. Don't want to t- dictate what you may have heard in kind of church world. But often when we hear this phrase kingdom of God, what do you often think? I mean, I know for me, when I first became a Christian, the phrase kingdom of God didn't mean well, it had nothing to do with this world, right? The kingdom of God had everything to do with another world, as in where you go when you die. You, know, you go to the kingdom of heaven, at least as it says in, in Matthew's gospel. You go to the kingdom of heaven. And you know, that's, people would say that's synonymous with the kingdom of God, right? So kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. And it's all about going somewhere else when you die. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with this world, because it's all about going to heaven when you die, right? That's what it's about. That's what Jesus came to do, right? To, to yeah, he came down, but it was to what? To, to scoop us all up and to go somewhere else. Because that's what it's all about, right? Right? Is that, is that what the kingdom of God means? 
Is that what you've been taught the kingdom of God means, or the kingdom of heaven? Well, first of all, just some commentary on how the kingdom of God is used in Mark's gospel versus how the word kingdom, the phrase kingdom of heaven is used in Matthew's gospel, just very quickly as a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, Matthew's gospel is a Jewish gospel. God was a sacred word. So Matthew, with a more Jewish audience in mind, exchanges the word God for the word heaven. That's why he says the kingdom of heaven in his gospel. And in Mark's gospel, it's the reason why the kingdom of God, that phrase, the word God as opposed to heaven, is more prominent. But just as a bit of a, a, bit of a, a tangent, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it's a tomato, tomato, potato, potato situation. All right, It means the same thing. Matthew's gospel, more Jewish, exchanges the sacred word God for heaven, not so in Mark, which is aimed towards non-Jewish readers. Okay, so kingdom of God slash kingdom of heaven. Is it about going somewhere else where you die? Well, I mean, there's probably no polite way of saying it. It, it, it isn't. Um, the kingdom of God, you're just going to have to trust me when I, when I say this, all right? Um, you're like, Nathan, you're not a scholar. No, I'm not, but I've read a lot. And, and this is a particular area of mine I think is really important. I think if you talk to any kind of theologian worth their two pence, or any biblical scholar worth their two pence, they will make it very clear to you that this phrase, this meaning, the meaning of the kingdom of God is not about going somewhere else after you die into an immaterial world. Rather, the kingdom of God is about the kind of the rule, you know, the rulership, the reign, the who is in chargeness of a particular location. Now, you might be saying, well, isn't that location heaven? Uh, yeah, okay. So, in the Old Testament, or in the Hebrew Scriptures, as some people would say, this phrase of the kingdom of God, there, there was always this Jewish hope in the Old Testament slash Hebrew Scriptures that God wouldn't so much get people out of the world, but that the good creator God who created this world, and in the words of Jesus, so loved this world that he gave his one and only son, that this world would be renovated. This world would be rescued. This world would be fixed up. This world that has become broken will be replanted like a garden, and that this garden-like world, this world will be healed, and that God would be the ruler of this world, not just from a not just from what it might sometimes feel like a distance, even though that's not true, but that's a conversation for another time. But that rather that it would be as if God is kind of permeating everything. That justice, sorry, that injustice is wiped away with, that death is gone, that tears are wiped away, that homelessness doesn't exist anymore, that that poverty doesn't exist anymore. Um that God's presence just permeates all things and that God is all in all in the entirety of the earth. That is God being, or should I say, God ruling the earth. All right. Once again, the modern equivalent of particular, particular nations and particular parts of the world where there is a ruler. That is the implication that a rulership is happening in the same way that in 
Australia, that we have the Commonwealth of Australia. If you go into the US, it's the United States of America. Or if you go into other parts of the world, that there are particular rulerships. That is probably a kind of a picture language to describe what's going on here. It's not about going somewhere else. The kingdom of God is about God ruling the earth. Or as Jesus would pray in his prayer, the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, that your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Where does God's kingdom come and God's will be done? What does, what does Jesus say? Your will be done, your kingdom come where? On earth as it is in heaven. So yes, there is such thing as heaven. I don't want people implying, you know, listening to me the beginning go that there's no such thing as, as um, heaven. But heaven isn't so much about like where we go, where we die, even though you could still make that case. But it's it's probably more better to say that um, heaven will come to earth in the end. And you read the book of Revelation. What do you find? Do you find people escaping to go out of the earth? evacuating to go elsewhere. No, actually the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, ends not with escaping this world, but with passages that say that God is making his dwelling place among people in a, in a new heavens and a new earth. And the word new there, by the way, in the Greek, doesn't mean like I broke my iPhone and I'm going to you know, get a brand new iPhone. No, the, the, the word there is more... The Greek word for new there is like a restoration. Think of that TV show from the 90s and, and early noughties, you know, Pimp My Ride. You know, when they bring in the broken down old car, they don't give them a brand new car. But they kind of do, don't they? They do give them a brand new car, but it's made of the material of the old because they completely restore the car and and, and up more than that. They, they just completely revamp it or in the words of the show, they quote unquote pimp it up. In the same way, you can say the earth is being pimped up one day. <laughs> uh, it's heaven on earth. It's the kingdom of God. It is the world completely restored and made right. And the future hope for Christians so much isn't about going somewhere else when you die, but it's rather that if you were to die die as a follower of Jesus, then sure, you'll be in God's presence. And that's perhaps one way of speaking about that is is heaven. But it's unhelpful language because we we make that the main emphasis. But actually, the New Testament all the time doesn't talk about just going up to heaven, but it talks about Jesus coming back again. It talks about new heavens and new earth, as I mentioned before. It talks about that our physical bodies will be raised again from the dead and that we would be in physical bodies. Now, I know some people get confused because there is a part of Paul that says that we'll have spiritual bodies. But just remember, when when it says spiritual bodies, think think like an electric car, right? A car is an electric car isn't made out of electricity. It's generated by electricity. And in the same way, a spiritual body doesn't mean that a body is no longer physical, but that rather it's completely animated and empowered and made alive again by the Holy Spirit, aka a spiritual body. It's not so much what it's made out of. The body is good and, and, and materiality is good. Right? Why would God make that which is bad, right? Um so he rises again from the dead. Now, I, can't, I feel like I'm waffling, and I apologize for that, but I guess I'm just trying to create a point, and it's, it's a large point, and it's a point that I, I'm not sure if I've convinced everyone of. I just hope that, that people can give the benefit of the doubt when I say that the kingdom of God is not about going somewhere else. The kingdom of God is about the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven, with the eventual hope that that somewhere else, i.e. heaven, will fully come to earth. The kingdom of God will be fully on earth as it is in heaven. And that right now, 
we live in kind of this strange overlap of the ages. That on the one hand, Jesus has come. He has brought his kingdom. But on the other hand, look around us. There's still death. There's still evil. There's still injustice in the world. Um, there's still pain. There's still tears. There's still sorrow. There's still agony. I'm still, as far as I'm concerned, I'm still decaying and going to die one day. Right? Um, so there's obviously, it isn't fully here, but the hope is that when Jesus returns again, that the kingdom of God will then be fully implemented. All right. So it is here, but it's also kind of not here yet here. But when it is here, everything's going to change. And that which Jesus bought when he first came, the kingdom of God, will be fully implemented and outworked when he comes again a second time. And between now and then, between what theologians call the now and not yet, there are... We can create little signposts, little pockets of the kingdom of God. That every time we love our neighbor, we're creating a pocket of the kingdom of God. That every time we seek Jesus-shaped justice in the world, that we're creating a pocket of the kingdom of God. That every single time someone comes to the personal relationship with Jesus, they are in their heart creating a pocket of the kingdom of God. That every time communities come together and we take communion and we forgive one another, we model to each other Jesus' love, we're creating pockets of the kingdom of God. That every single time that we outwork God's will, whether it be in our workplace, whether it be in our friendships, whether it be in our families, whether it be in our marriages, whether it be in any single context, that we are outworking a pocket of the kingdom of God. That every single time that we engage in the common good in Jesus-shaped ways, in ways that we want to bring flourishment into our workplaces, that we want to bring flourishment and perhaps into the education system or into other particular sectors of the world we are being pockets of the kingdom of god and so the kingdom of god does work majestically and it is here but of course it's not yet fully here but it has come and that is the good news that jesus has the time has come he said the kingdom of god the rule and reign of god on earth as it is in heaven has come near that is the good news. And you know what? That is a direct affront, as it was back in the first century, a direct affront to the Roman Empire, who would have heard of Jesus saying this as counter-propaganda, right? propaganda against their propaganda, or at least they would have interpreted the propaganda. This is the truth. The rule and reign of God has come near. What a, what a controversy. What a shock to the first listeners. No wonder some of the earliest Christians were killed for this because this was a direct affront to the political rule at the time. Only Caesar was Lord in the first century. But then here comes a bunch of people who say Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is. And this has all sorts of implications for us in our times. Against the backdrop of increasing political polarization of left, right, moderate, up and down, Imagine being the person who says, you know what? Jesus is prime minister. Jesus is the true president. Jesus is the true chairman. Jesus is the true ruler. And those other ones are pseudo-rulers. Perhaps they have a particular point and a purpose, but they are ultimately pseudo. That's a challenge. Or even if it's not even around politics, it could be around other things. Imagine saying into a capitalist world that money, this, this hand of the market, isn't the ultimate hand. 
isn't the ultimate god, even though all around us money seems to rule. Imagine saying, no, 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 no. There's a different hand. There's a different rulership. And it's Jesus and his kingdom. He is the king. And we're going to do everything that we can do as a direct assault against the capitalist mind and the world that we live in. Oof. Come on, it sounds very revolutionary, doesn't it? But we're not talking about Marx. <laughs> we're talking about Jesus, who's bringing the kingdom of God. That's the good news, and that's the kingdom of God. So they're the first two windows. So then what? Jesus says to repent, and then he says, believe in this good news. Well, the word repent, <laughs> oh my word, shivers down your spine, perhaps, I mean, this is a, such a triggering word for some people. And understandably so. I mean, I've been to the US and people hone up signs saying, repent. Oh, my word. Oh, they send shivers down my spine. And, you know, unfortunately, this is increasing on the streets here in Australia as well. Repent? Ah, oh, it's, a, it's a stark word. I want to redeem this word, though, because I don't want to let um, a handful of kooks on the street um, destroy the, the richness and beauty of this word. I, I don't want them to set the default to which I then have to kind of wrap around. No, 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 no. I want them to change their ways, <laughs> which is ironic because that's part of the word repent. But anyway, uh, I want them to change their ways to see the real way of what this means to actually repent. Repent or repentance. Um, in the original Greek, some people think it just means to change one's mind. Um, God bless those who, who think that. It does mean that in, on one level. Um, now, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but I just want to say up front to those people who are into their Greek words and into what's called a concordance. All right, that's a larger word. You don't, average listener, do not worry about this rabbit hole I'm about to go down. All right, quick rabbit hole, um, strong concordance. Strong's, the guy who wrote it, uh, he isn't infallible. Okay. Uh, the scholars have expanded what this means, what, what the word repent meant in the first century, which is when this was written. It's not just about changing your mind. It's your mind, but it's also your whole life. It's your whole orientation to existence. And I'll just give you a very practical example, because once again, just like the word gospel and just like the word kingdom of God, it was, drumroll, I sound like a broken record here, it was a political word. That's right. The word repent before it had any religious connotations, was a political word. The word repent in its original usage was often used that after someone bought the propaganda of good news, and, and in this case, the propaganda good news of the Roman Empire, taking over, pillaging a whole area, and then getting in charge, uh, often the peoples who just took over that whole area, okay, the, the army generals and the like from the Roman Empire, etc., etc., they would go up to the local rulers and they would tell them to repent and believe. And of course, in that case, repent and believe the good news of Rome, of Roman rule the kingdom of Rome, the empire of Rome. So it was actually used as a political word. And basically, it, the word repent, it isn't just changing your mind. It's basically changing your whole worldview, your whole 
your whole way of looking at the entirety of the world. It was going, you're currently seeing the world through the lens of your current political rule. Oh no, I want you now to, to change and see your whole lens, the way of viewing everything through a completely different rule. And in that case, the propaganda mindset of the Roman Empire would have been through the way of Rome. Jesus comes along and once again, declaring a different type of kingdom, says to completely reorientate your whole self with, the, with, with complete, a complete reorientation of how you see the entire world through the lens of this kingdom. But not Caesar, but through Jesus, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God as revealed in the person of Jesus. And so then... And so then, to repent then is not just to change your mind in some sort of cognitive, like, oh, I've ticked some new ideas. Oh, no, 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 no. Repent means to completely reorientate your whole life towards this new way, this new rulership, this Jesus who's bought the kingdom. All right. So that's what the word repent means. But uh, the word repent did have some old-school religious meanings as well. Because um, there is a sense in which the word repent does mean to turn around in its most basic form, okay? Um, but it also does have a kind of a deeper, I guess you can say existential meaning, because it did have a meaning particular to the Jewish people as well. And you know, within the, kind of the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew equivalent of the word repent basically mean, meant to return um, to return to who God had always intended you to be. All right, to to go back to kind of our original design protocol as those as people who are made by God. In other words, if God is the creator of all things, and therefore we have His DNA in Him, but we have kind of rebelled against our ultimate parent, if you like, against God, we still have that DNA clacker lacking in us. It's basically to Go back, go back to, go back to God. Go back to your Creator. Go back to your Maker. Go back and be the person that you're always created to be. And so, for the Jewish people, it wasn't just repent, aka reorientate your entire life as if um, there is a whole new political order of things. In this case, the kingdom of God, Jesus, the kingdom of God. But it's also ah yes, and this kingdom of God, this isn't a new thing but that rather the kingdom of God goes back into the very heart of God as creator and God has made you and God beckons you to return to who you were always meant to be. That's another word, meaning of the word repentance. So how are we tracking here? <laughs> so far we've had gospel, we've had kingdom of God, and we've had the word repent. All right. Uh, so gospel, just to, just to sum up so far, gospel, uh, the good news. That something has happened by which everything is different. It's not good advice. It's good news. And what is it good news of? It's good news of the rule and reign of God. It's not about going somewhere else after you die, as great as that is. But actually, it's about the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. Precisely a rule and reign as defined and as modeled and as shaped by Jesus that Jesus has brought near. But as we know by looking around us, is not yet fully here. But the promise that we see in the rest of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, is that it will become fully here or fully implemented, if you like, when Jesus appears again. Um, and part of that package is 
um, being resurrected from the dead, um, God restoring the world, and us participating in this newfound reality on earth as it is in heaven, or what the Bible calls a new heavens and new earth, not like a broken iPhone and getting a brand new one, but rather like an earth that is completely healed, that is made new, not brand new, but made new again. And that we are to, in light of this, we are to completely reorientate our entire existence around this this reality, this good news of this kingdom of God. We are to, quote-unquote, repent. And that as we, quote-unquote, repent, we are returning to our deepest instinct, our deepest calling to be the people that God had always destined us to be all along. And so we repent and we believe. We believe this gospel. All right, and this brings us to the word believe. Now, what do we mean by the word believe? All right, once again, what do we think of when we think of the word believe, right? Uh, for a lot of us, it's just getting our ideas right. It's this cognitive assent. It's like, ew, my mind, I'm going to kind of, kind of rewrite the script in my mind. No, 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 no. That's not what the word believe means, at least not in its original context. I know we think that's what the word believe means. All right, and that's and we believe, <laughs> lol, we believe that word belief to mean that for a variety of cultural reasons, which I won't go down today. It's a podcast for another time. Um, but if you are a bit of a nerd like me, just think of the word enlightenment. That's all you need to think of. You just Google that. Google the word enlightenment and maybe the word believe, and, and maybe that will be your rabbit trail. Um, but basically the word to, to believe in its first century context is basically, it's basically this, that, um, actually, you know what, instead of going back to the first century, let's just, let's use a modern example. Uh, civil rights movement in the United States, led by the Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Did you just give cognitive assent to that if you were, like if you were around at the time and you are hearing his speech, and you're and you were you were galvanated by his words. You know, I have a dream. You're like, oh yes, this is awesome. Like, this is the type of world I want to belong to. Um, do you just give a, a a a nice, neat, cognitive assent to his ideas? Oh yes, yes, yes. Small little teacup claps. No, you don't. No, no, no. You you give you give your life over to it. You give your allegiance to it. Right, you you believe, you know, and, and, and belief in that sense isn't just a nice cognitive idea. It's a giving of yourself over. It's a it's an allegiance to a movement or a newfound reality. And so once again, it, it was also, once again, a political word. All right. And it was often paired with the word repent. All right. I mentioned before that that idea that um, or that, that kind of picture language of Rome coming in, slaughtering people, generals going up to the the leader of that city and, and saying what? Repent and believe the good news, all right? So it was often paired together, all right? Um, but just to isolate it out, um, you can speak of the word believe, right, as once again, political word. And the best word I can think of, and I've already said it once, it's, it's like that of an allegiance. And the best analogy to which I've just talked about is, is like that of, you know, signing up to a movement, like that of the civil rights movement, let's say. It's a great example to think about it like that. Other contemporary examples might be signing up to a political party or, or signing up uh, you know, into, 
into a in, basically it's a signing up it's it's a giving your life over you know it's it's not just a neat little idea you know if you believe you believe you go all in and this perhaps brings us to another kind of picture language around this word believe that would have also been true of the word believe in the first century and then there's like that of a trust fall now when you do a trust fall um the whole the whole idea of a trust fall is that you might not have um all your questions about whether or not the person's going to catch you all sorted. You know, you might you might have all these these questions, right? Oh, will I be caught? I don't know. You're going to have a lot cognitively going through your mind. But here's the thing about trust, is that you can have all those things going on in your mind, but you still fall back. Because it's not called a, I have it all cognitively figured out, and so I'm going to fall over and, and, and go, go back fall. It's called a trust fall. In other words, you trust. It's much more visceral. It's, it's, dare I say, much more mystical, right? You don't have it all figured out, but you trust, and you trust for. That is another meaning of this word believe in the first century, that you don't just, that you, you don't just give allegiance to, though you certainly do, but in the very act of giving allegiance to, giving your whole life over, it's as if this allegiance-like trust in Jesus and his kingdom is akin to that of a trustful where you don't have it all figured out and you still have all these old big philosophical, theological, personal questions about faith. But you know, but dang nabbit, I'm caught up in a vision. I'm caught up in the dream, God's dream, God's dream of the kingdom of God as revealed in the person of Jesus. I'm going to give my life over i'm going to trust and give allegiance to this jesus and i'm going to trust this good news this good news of god's kingdom so that is gospel that is kingdom of god that is repent and that is the word believe this brings us back to our last little bit. How are we tracking, by the way? I mean, I'm not sure how far in we are. I think we're getting close to an hour in, but whatever. That is, this is what we've got so far. And so now we get to this last word, and it's this word, follow. Now we find this kind of after Jesus' little section here, we find this in verse 16, where uh, Jesus, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, unlike the word gospel, unlike the phrase kingdom of God, and unlike the phrase repent and believe, which are primarily political in their original meanings, except you know, with, with the addition of the word believing, having, and the word repenting, having a kind of religious flavor, and I, and I guess kingdom of God to some extent, um, they would have primarily been known as, as kind of explicitly religious uh, political words at the time, with a bit of religious baggage attached to them, all right? especially from the Hebrew scriptures or the, or the Old Testament. Uh, but this word, I mean, this is very explicitly religious. This was such a common phrase in kind of a Jewish worldview. All right, and so what I want you to think of now is, is a bunch of young pupils, all right, following a rabbi. Like I'm talking like, you know, think Star Wars, think like Padawan, think like little little kids who are learning the ways of the force, you know, think to use Star Wars language, use Jedi language, right? They're learning from their master, all right, and uh, they're following their master, okay? Um, so you have these little children learning Torah, uh, which if you don't know what Torah is, it's, it's another word for the law. It's another word for um, a big chunk, the first five books of the Old Testament, 
All right, they're learning that by heart. All right, this is very common for for Jewish pupils to learn this stuff. But there were always a select few who were like, hmm, they're very good at Torah. Maybe they can become a, a rabbi. Maybe they can become a teacher of the law. Oh, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be good? It was basically the ancient equivalent of being like a doctor or a lawyer. Like this is very prestigious careers. So the parents are even like, oh, they think little 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 Matthew can become a, a rabbi. Oh, this is exciting. This is exciting. So you have little little Matthew, you know, he's learning he's learning the Torah, he's learning the law, he's learning the first five books of the Bible. And you know he's rabbi, he's he's a Jedi-like equivalent master. He, you know he's oh, he's doing very well. And, you know, and so he joins a little elite group of of padawans of these little kids who are learning these five books, and um and they, they spend years years together learning Torah, learning the law, these five books, and then eventually towards the very end, uh, the rabbi, this master, if you like, he's gonna pick. A disciple, someone to become his disciple, someone to quote unquote, and this is what they would say, to follow him. All right. They would have said, Follow me. And they would have said the person's name, Yeah, follow me, Matthew. Follow me, Simon. Follow me. And if you got to that point, and this was probably around teenage years, you know, if you got to that advanced equivalent, if you had survived the funneling effect of all these other people who weren't good enough, and then there was a smaller pocket of people, and then some of them weren't good enough, and now it was only a select few. If you got to this last stage, and you were called to be, fo- you, you were, your, the rabbi said to follow him, who you've just become a doctor. Or you're you're about to become a very learned doctor. <laughs> you're about to become a very like a little learned lawyer. That was the equivalent. It was like oh, little little Jimmy is about to become. He's been asked to be followed by the rabbi. You know, it was a big deal, All right? So, um, very prestigious to be called to follow. You know, very prestigious to to follow. And when you would follow the rabbi, if you were called to follow a rabbi, basically it means you became the apprentice of that rabbi. You were, you were a rabbi in training. You were a rabbi apprentice at this stage. You were about to become a very prestigious religious figure, a teacher of teachers, a teacher of the law in, in, the, in, this, in this community, in this particular world. Right? Very prestigious, right? Um, and yeah. And, and in, you know, if you were called to follow, you would do everything the rabbi does. You, you were basically playing a giant game of Simon Says. Simon Says jump, you jump. Simon Says walk, you walk. Simon Says pat your belly, you pat your belly. All right. And they, they used to follow the rabbi so closely that um, there was even a pronouncement of blessing. And the pronouncement of blessing that was put upon um, people who followed in their rabbis would, you know, they would look at this young person, this, this newly appointed apprentice, this, this select from the select, and, and they would say, oh, may you be covered in the dust of the rabbi. And it, was a, you know, it sounds like a weird saying to us, but back then it was, a, it, was a, it was an absolute pronouncement of blessing because to be covered in dust, you know, this is the Middle East, right? Dust everywhere, you know, kicking up a storm on your feet as you kind of take, crack a luck and take, take steps, sandals, you know, throwing dust behind you. To be covered in the rabbi's dust means that you are following intimately and very closely with the rabbi, you were just so close to your rabbi. All right, that's how intense the apprenticeship was to your rabbi. So to follow in your rabbi. So um, have that in the back of your mind because remember, Jesus is Jewish. This is a Jewish world. All right, it might be overtaken by Rome, but it's thoroughly a Jewish world. All right, and Simon and Andrew, they were probably those young little boys at one point. But unlike um, the elite of the elite who were who became apprentices of their rabbi, um, the very fact that they were fishermen mean that they weren't they didn't quite cut it. All right. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, that was a very common saying. Uh, the rabbi would, would pick someone to follow him, and then the rabbi would turn to those other pupils who had been working with him so closely but weren't quite good enough, and they, he would often say something like, you're very good at the law, you're, you're, you're a good student, but um, you will not become my rabbi. Instead, go and learn a trade, become a fisherman, uh, become a farmer. Yeah, he, 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 would, he would list these typical trades. And so and here we have in this scene, we have Simon and we have his brother Andrew. And what are they doing? They are fishermen. And then what do we have? Jesus. And what does he say? Come, follow me. He invites them to become his apprentice. He is saying, in effect, that he is basically a rabbi. And he's calling people to become his disciples. He is the teacher. And he wants, um, and he's calling people to be his apprentice. He is like the Jedi master. And he is calling not just a Padawan, but someone to be a Jedi in training under him. So it's pretty wild. You know, this was a big deal. So no wonder why they just dropped their nets and followed him. Very big deal. All right. From a, from a kind of a Jewish kind of worldview. All right. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to go into the section that says, and I'll send you out the fish for people. I know some people talk about that as being about, you know, just making converts. That's not what it means, but that's a message for another time about what that phrase means. All right. It's much more wilder than you think. Um, because that phrase was a phrase at the time to fish for people, but it's not just about making converts. But I won't go down that rabbit trail. But they dropped their nets. They followed him, and they became his apprentice. They became his students. They became his disciples. So, gospel, kingdom of God, repent, believe, follow. These windows in this building, that if we press our face up against it, we start to get a, a deeper and wider, <laughs> a deeper and wider picture of what our faith is about in these verses. So let's summarize one more time. Gospel. Good news. Good news that something has happened, that as a result, everything will be different. That something has happened around us. As a result, everything will be different. What's happened around us? Jesus has come into the world to bring the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, a rule and reign of God that won't just scoop us out of the world after we die, as if that's what the faith is all about, but that rather this rule and reign comes on earth as it is in heaven and will actually end fully on earth as it is in heaven with a restored creation. Not like that of a broken iPhone, but like that of something that's been made new and restored, a new heavens, a new earth, not new everythings, but, but completely made anew. And that part of that will include resurrection from the dead. But there's obviously an overlap of the ages because that isn't fully here yet. Oh, but it is here in some sense. Every single time Jesus heals somebody, that is a pocket of the kingdom of God. And every single time that we live in the ethics and the morality of Jesus, we are manifesting a pocket of the kingdom of God. And as we do that, that counteracts all the pseudo-kingdoms all around us, whether it be the political religions that exist, or whether that be in the pseudo-gods that we've made gods in our life, in our society, both in our hearts and the world around us, such as gods of money, god of fame, god of success, the god of wellness, all these different gods all around us. Ah, but there is a different kingdom. 
and its good news, good news of Jesus' rule and reign. Not of a kingdom, not of a God-like kingdom that is high and mighty and just like scary, right? But it's a kingdom of God that precisely looks like the God that is revealed in the person of Jesus. A God to whom when his... um, his students were following him and they talked about, well, you know, we want who's going to be second in charge? Who's going to be on your right-hand side when your kingdom fully comes in glory? And Jesus goes, oh, you guys have no idea. The first will be last, the last will be first. And actually my kingdom isn't about the love of power, but the power of sacrificial, Jesus-shaped, servant-like love. It's like, it looks like washing feet. Then it looks like um, being in charge and on top of a throne. Unless that throne is, of course, a cross. But that's a whole other time. So the kingdom of God, this good news of the kingdom of God that is on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are called to reorientate our entire life. And in reorientate our entire life, we're in a deep sense returning to whom we're always created to be. To be people living in alignment of this, of this, uh, of this kingdom. To live on the right side of cosmic history. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. talks about that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I say yes and amen, and that justice looks like Jesus. The moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends, it wraps towards Jesus. It's all heading there. We are called to live in that future, in the here and the now, because the kingdom of God is near. And will one day be fully present everywhere. And so we reorientate our entire life. We return to a deeper sense of who we're always called to be. In other words, we repent. And we trust for, we give allegiance to, we believe this good news. And on a more intimate level, if you are somebody who feels like you aren't good enough to be part of this kingdom, that you're somebody who's just been constantly rejected, or you don't fit the definitions of the world's definitions of success, take heart. The fishermen of the world are being called to follow. The people who were cast out are being cast in. The good news on a more intimate level is that the good Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who's calling you to follow him. And the great thing about that is that you don't have to have it all together before you start to follow him. Rather, you start to follow him. And you become a student. And like any, I mean, why is it called a student? You know, being a student means that you're not the teacher. Being a student means that you're not the one that has it all together. The whole point of following somebody is that you're not the one who, who's kind of ahead. Jesus is ahead. He just calls you to follow him. And follow, he calls us. And it's our part of our beckoning heart that we must, must follow him that we drop our nets, whatever our nets might be. Because that's how big of a deal is that in this reorientation of entire life that we follow him, we play a giant game of Simon says, Jesus, <laughs> a Jesus game of Simon says, Jesus says, Jesus does, Jesus does. And we follow in him. And so we are like those people now that in pressing our face against the glass, seeing these different words, gospel, kingdom of God, repent and believe, that perhaps the word follow is an invitation to walk out the front door. That our Christian faith is much more deeper and wider than the box we've put it in. And that as we walk out this front door, we see something beautiful that beckons us forward. And a voice is crying out to us, 
a Jesus who is there, who says, follow me. And those are the words that I want to talk to you about today. So that's my symphony of words. And I just pray that God bless you and that you continue to follow him for all of your days, knowing that your faith is much more than just escaping this world, but it is about participating by following in the one to whom says the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Thanks for listening to Deeper and Wider. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe and share far and wide. If you want to get to know me, then follow me on Instagram at Nathan underscore Forster or look me up at NathanForster.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.